Welcome to the Kelly Patrick Show. Thank you for tuning in. In today's episode, I am joined by Lewis Christopher. Lewis is a brown belt in jiu-jitsu. I'm fortunate. I've got to train with him ever since I started training uh, jiu-jitsu. And so he's been a friend of mine for, I believe, about eight years now. Really appreciate Lewis coming on the show today. I really enjoyed the conversation. If you're a fan of the Kelly Patrick Show, I ask that you please send some referrals the way of my sponsors. The title sponsor of the show is Louisville Combat Academy, located at 7908 Beulah Church Road, Louisville, Kentucky, 40228. They have a great MMA program, but also, even if you aren't planning on fighting in the cage, they have a great jiu-jitsu program for adults, female-friendly classes, and a great kids program also. Check out Louisville Combat Academy. Heidi Solars Coots. Heidi is a licensed clinical social worker and licensed clinical alcohol and drug counselor, specializing in treating anxiety, depression, trauma, and addiction with a mindful and holistic approach. Heidi is actually my mother, and I can attest she is a saint. Call her at 502-457-1823. Virtual and telephonic appointments are available anywhere in the United States. Veercast Digital Media. Veercast Digital Media at veercast.com. Matt McCarthy runs Veercast, and he is also the producer for The Kelly Patrick Show. They do video production, aerial drone photography, web design, and podcast production. Contact them at info at veercast.com to start your own video show or podcast. Also, my health insurance practice, Benefits Analysis Corporation. Based in Troy, Ohio, I work from my Louisville, Kentucky office. I can help anyone in the United States with their health insurance needs. I'm an independent broker for health insurance solutions for individuals, families, Medicare-eligible individuals, and also groups. I can also write life insurance, and long-term care. If you want to support the podcast, please send me some referrals. 502-386-0978. Welcome to the Kelly Patrick Show. Thank you for tuning in. In today's episode, I am joined by Lewis. Um, Lewis is one of the first... When I started training jiu-jitsu in 2016, my, my kids had trained for two years prior, 2014 through 2016. I never hung around and watched the adult classes. But from my memories of when I did start in May of 2016, I, I believe you were one of the first people that I trained with, Lewis. So I appreciate you coming on to the show. Thank you so much for coming on. Yep, pleased to be here. Um, Could you introduce yourself to the Kelly Patrick Show audience? Who is Lewis? Uh, Lewis Christopher. I See, am. I'm trying to, not, I don't want to give your last name if you're not trying to, you know what I mean? Like, but Lewis Christopher. Yep. Yep. And <clears throat> I am a jujitsu brown belt where we met. Uh, I have been a police officer for 30 years. I am currently still a police officer. Uh, however, all the opinions I give today are my own and not representing anyone else. Um, been married for 33 years, father of two grown sons. Uh, I'm a Christian. I served active duty in the United States Coast Guard. And then 
three years each in the Kentucky Army National Guard and Kentucky Air National Guard. Um, I'm not a combat veteran, but I am a veteran. Proud of that as well. And that's pretty much it in a nutshell. <clears throat> Since I started recording the Kelly Patrick Show in two that, 2017, I think it was February 2017, Scott Smith was actually my first guest. So I'm 708 episodes in, Scott Smith was number one. When I started... <clears throat> I planned on it being, I, I didn't really know exactly what it would be, but I thought it would be re- revolving around, I was doing commentary for MMA at the time, jujitsu, MMA type stuff. Yes. But I think the way I would describe what has happened is over time, I've started to think like, well, if I have a voice at all, not saying it's a big voice, you know, I'm not saying I have many listeners, but if I have any voice at all, when COVID happened... <laughs> I, I was kind of like, this seems pretty important to me. It seems like the entire country is shut, you know, shutting down. I'd never seen anything like this. So I had a little bit of an epiphany, mm-hmm. became more opinionated politically than I had ever been prior. Started reading different things, raised as Republican, have always voted Republican. You know, I was, I didn't even have a phase. A lot of people say, raised Republican, but when I was in my early 20s, I was... Voted Democrat for whatever reason. I would admit to it if I did. Never did for some reason. Always made sense what my dad had told me. And my dad's a, a, a white guy who's not made, made it very clear being racist is bad. Um, you know, drugs, laws against things like weed is stupid in his opinion. Um, and gay people, you know, it's not like I had a bunch of gay people around me like when I was growing up. But you need to be respectful. I think I remember my dad telling me one time he worked with a guy who was homosexual and they had a good working relationship. I think he even said they were friends. Mm -hmm. Um, So in my mind, the version of a white male Republican, when the Trump campaign came around in 2015 and it started all being painted, and it was long before that, but the white male Republicans, a racist and a bigot, it really got amplified with Trump. I was like, this is all bullshit. I loved Trump. I loved the Trump campaign, 2015. Voted for Trump in 2016. He won. And um, I, I like the idea of draining the swamp and all that. But it really took COVID to radicalize me. And I've now become very radical politically, would you say? Uh, to me, your opinion, most of your opinions are not that radical. But I can see how some people would, okay. would think that. So when, when I, being that I know that you are a police officer... Mm-hmm veteran mm-hmm. and your son is a veteran mm-hmm. and my father and both my grandfathers and my son's grandfather on the other side my my father-in-law when i when i have shared so through covid i became very anti i would say um critical of the government on a state level and then ultimately a federal level too uh and that opened my eyes up to the concepts of like anarcho-libertarianism and really questioning the government at all levels. And that took me to learn more about war. My wife and I have been watching documentaries about the Vietnam War, you know, the Civil War, uh, all sorts of different wars. My grandfather on my mom's side was a uh, purple, got a purple heart. He was in the Battle of the Bulge. He always hated war the rest of his life. He was anti-war from that point forward. Always a Republican after that. Uh, proud to be an American, but not real pro-war. So I started to look into some different things and what, what I would describe as the evil that is the Federal Reserve. And it led me to being like, what the hell's going on here? Why are we fighting all these wars? 
Um, is this making people, who, who's making money off this? I think it was Blinken. I heard a quote, maybe not Blinken. Someone made a, a quote like, people don't realize, yeah, we're investing a lot of money into Ukraine. This was just a few weeks ago, someone. But a lot of that money's coming right, relax, it's stimulating our economy. So, I mean, a lot of it's coming right back here. Mitch McConnell <laughs> said that that money is not going to the Ukraine, it's going to American defense contractors. And it is. <clears throat> Absolutely. So they're not even hiding it. Right. <laughs> that doesn't make you or I any richer, I don't think, does it? Not in any way, no. Okay, so I've been very critical of the war machine. Mm-hmm. Very critical of the war in Ukraine and Russia that I feel that, that Kamala Harris and, and um, Joe Biden directly instigated right before. But even before that, the Trump administration moved some weapons in there, and that, I'm sure, added to it. He tried to hold all, He tried to not do that for a while. He ended up doing it, I think. But, um, and then, of course, before that, Obama and Biden. So I think that war was instigated by the United States. Right. Um, and then, of course, also I've been very critical of this war between uh, Israel, the Israel and Gaza-Palestine war recently. And, and I try to talk to everyone, even people that, that want to come on who are critical of my stances. Um, not everyone necessarily, I guess, but if I have a friend who's like, you know, I disagree with you. I, uh, my friend Tim Cordova, he's a purple belt out E-Town, great guy. Uh, technical technical school teacher i think he teaches people how for jctc in e-town he teaches people how to be electricians i think okay great guy agrees with me on all sorts of political things disagrees me with me about pretty much everything to do with the military i had him on a couple episodes just wanted to talk to him and i tried to have a relatively civil conversation with him and we did right he says he agrees with me on about 70 80 percent of of topics and those one topics are the military industrial complex ultimately you commented on a couple of my posts i didn't plan on this happening Mm -hmm. and um your response to my admittedly um extreme posts was not what i expected what was your response Well, I agree with you in general about a lot of theories. I think one of the responses I made was that you paint with too broad a brush when you just say the military. Yep. I made one post that said the military, U.S. military is the most evil organization in the world, not even debatable who's number two was my post. Right. And had I been able to do it again, after you talked to me about it, had I said the war machine that maybe that would have been more accurate? Absolutely. Um, So first of all, though, on that post, you said by numbers, okay? Now, I would like to point out that if if you look into the numbers of people who were killed by communism... You commented that, and I meant to respond to your comment, and I don't disagree. Yeah, so I'm not saying that the, the, the United States war machine has not killed innocent people but it's not number one it's not number one of all time probably no communism in general maybe has exceeded yes okay uh uh, let's say since the year 2000 okay maybe maybe not we can who do you think would be number two on that list or or, or who's number one even who's killed more than the u.s and all the wars that we're funding and all the wars that we're our war machine who kills more innocent people so i think since 9 11 it could possibly be the United States. I want to go back real quick about the point that I was making about your original post is that 
when you say the military generally, instead of talking about politicians and generals and defense contractors, the war machine, you're you're basically talking about guys like me, my son, um, poor lower middle class, middle class people that make up the bulk of those who serve in the military. You know, a very, very tiny percentage of people in the military ever get to the level where they could be corrupt. The vast majority do not. and Arguably victimized or exploited. Right. And I think one of the, when you said that, when we, when we were messaging, you said that you were afraid I might, you might, that I might think you were attacking people like me. And I yeah. said, no, I think you are attacking people who use families like mine. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's how I want to be coming across. Right. Um, there's still something inside of me that always is like, I don't want to sound like too much of a pussy. Like, hey, there's this disclaimer. Right. I, you, you were not a soft-skinned person, fortunately. Most right. people in the military, I'd say, are not. It, you have to have somewhat of a tough skin because the first thing you do is go to boot camp where you're getting screamed at 24 hours a day and made to do things that you don't want to do. So some acknowledgement that when I'm counting these numbers about who the most evil war machine is, mm-hmm. we're paying for Ukraine to fight Russia. Right. Both sides are getting slaughtered. Right. <laughs> I think they're drafting like 40-year-olds in Ukraine now, mm-hmm. drafting against their will. If you don't go, you go to jail, right. and we're funding that. Nope. So I count all those deaths on both sides, right. the war machine's fault. Mm-hmm. And they're doing that in Russia, too. You oh, know, yeah. There's, there's tons of videos of... Russian military and police rounding guys up who just appear to be military age males walking down the street and they get snatched. Um, you know, anybody can look for that on YouTube. It's, uh, um, yeah. And the one thing that I think we should say from the very start is that, uh, I want this said about my opinion and I believe it's your opinion too, is that, being very critical of that war and the United States' role in it does not mean that we support Russia rolling into the Ukraine and doing what they want to do. Um, the same thing with the current war in Gaza is that if just because I am critical of something the Jewish government does does not mean I'm an anti-Semite. Um, and if I'm critical of things that Hamas has done, that doesn't mean I hate the Palestinians. Um, that, you know, we live in a society because of social social media where everything's all or nothing. If you criticize something that Israel does, you're an anti-Semite, even though it may have absolutely nothing to do with religion. You know, if you criticize Hamas, well, you hate these poor Palestinian people. No, I didn't criticize the Palestinian people. I criticized Hamas. Okay. I don't, I don't hate the Russian people. I don't hate Ukrainians. I don't like Putin. Um, I don't think Zelensky's as good a guy as he's portrayed in our media. You, you have to have nuanced opinions. If you can't have some nuance to your opinion, if it, if it has to be, uh, to use the words of George W. Bush, you're either with us or against us, that can create a lot of problems and a lot of misunderstandings. Wow. That's a nice quote you pulled there. Do you think that uh, George W. Bush, when he said that, that wasn't good for our country? So actually, I believe that 
it might have been what needed to be said at that point in time. You, approximately what year do, you, do we think he said that? Uh, he said that in one of his speeches after 9-11. That's what I was thinking. Uh, you have to remember, um, you know, when 9-11 happened, I, I had already been a police officer for a good amount of time. I was an adult. I was 31. Um, so I remember a lot of that, you know, my sons don't remember that at all. I was a senior in high school when that right. happened. So as a senior in high school, you have a very different way of thinking from someone who's in their 30s. Sure. Generally. Yeah, but I, I probably was going along with whatever the Republican um, response right. and seemed to be a unified response by our country. So, I mean, I was not critical at all of any of it. Right. So if we want to just start from there, um, I, I think our country at that point in time, we just lost. 3,000 people to the worst terrorist attacks in the history of our country, certainly. And we needed some tough talk from our leaders. Um, We needed the morale of our country to be boosted. And in my opinion, uh, those attacks did require a military response. Um, and Ron Paul actually even voted for a military response. Right. Ron Paul, who I would consider the superhero of politics, he yeah. voted for whatever it was called to go in and more, you know, right. uh, uh, whatever you'd call it in military terms, like actually get the people who did it. Type so thing. it was a use of, force, use of force authorization Okay. that granted the president of the United States, not just George Bush, but whatever president, um, the authority to pursue the people who were responsible for 9-11 anywhere in the world. And that use of force authority has been used for nearly every military misadventure that we've been on since then. And that was 2001. Uh, by the time they voted on it, it may have been 2002. I don't know exactly the dates. That, but so that specific use of force. Yeah, use of force authorization. So that, that really didn't do us any favors in terms of inflation yeah. and jumping right to it. But I mean, yeah. let's, let's cut to it. That use of fourth authorization has made a bunch of defense contractors and their stockholders rich. Yes. And it's made our uh, milk and bread cost more at the grocery store for you and I. Right. And just in Afghanistan, it has cost 2,402 American lives and approximately 176,000 Afghan lives. Wow. So uh, one way that I like to put it, if I talk to people about this, uh, our country demanded, and and this is not a nice way of saying it, but we demanded blood for blood after 9-11. We could have rained conventional missiles, not nuclear missiles, and bombs on Kabul and Bagram until we killed 25,000 people, but not invaded. And that would have saved 101,000 Afghan lives and 2,402 American lives. We, we, could have, we could have bombed and killed 25,000 of their people, and it would have saved 101,000 of their people. However, that probably would not have satisfied the contract Dick Cheney had just given to, to who was it, uh, Halliburton or whoever he was with right. before. Right. I think there was a $8 billion defense contract given right. right to Raytheon or whoever he was with. Right. So maybe that... I think it was no, Halliburton. No, Halliburton. Okay, so no, what <laughs> So what you described, sorry, it's not enough. Right. Exactly. They, they had more weapons. They had to fulfill the contract. Well, it's not just weapons. You, you, need, to, you need to remember that. 
I don't know of any large military U.S. military installation anywhere in the world where the food is cooked by Army cooks. It's cooked by defense contractors. Hmm. The vast majority of IT is done by defense contractors. Defense contractors are hired to clean the buildings. So, so Halliburton and Raytheon, there's a lot of jobs with those companies. So when when they say co- when Mitch McConnell says it is bringing jobs, to a degree, it kind of does. It is. Yeah. Yes, it is. But there again, <laughs> leaving it at that seems super manipulative, though. Yeah, who's um, <laughs> who's at the expense? At at whose expense? And if that money was used here in America, could we not create jobs here for people that need jobs here without going to war all over the world? Making more people, uh, the concept that Ron Paul talks about, and he got into it in his moment during, I think, the 2008 presidential Republican primaries. Giuliani was running, and Ron Paul and Giuliani got into it. And, And Ron Paul was saying, blowback. The concept of blowback is really why Osama bin Laden and, you know, they attacked September 11th, 2001. Now, in my mind, he's not saying, Ron Paul's not saying, we deserved it, it's good. More so, he's saying, like, um, why would those people want to kill us like that? What's going on? We should actually try to figure out, like, what actually is motivating them instead of just saying, it's because they're evil. Right. Leaving it at that. It almost seems like the United States response was, these are evil people, and they left it at that. And beyond that, it's just the boogeyman. Right. right. So, some of the reasons that they were angry certainly were things that we did, but I don't think we share all the blame for that because when you're specifically talking about Al-Qaeda and you're talking about young, poor, disaffected Muslim men being radicalized. Okay. A lot of the blame for that goes on the Saudi government. Because okay. the whole madrasa system of Muslim education started there with radical clerics who started preaching anti-Western, anti-capitalist, anti-American propaganda as part of jihad. I wonder around what years those type of educational uh, programs were enacted because I, I, I want to try to align it. Like, was it when Israel was created? Then they instituted? No, no it was after it, it was after um, the 40s and 50s. I think it was in the 70s or 80s, but I'm not sure. I don't want to be quoted on that. But one of the things that when when Islamic terrorism started becoming a worldwide problem, the Saudis said to these clerics, you can keep these schools here as long as none of this stuff that's happening happens in Saudi Arabia. So they allowed this system to propagate that radicalized young men. Now, if you look at Saudi Arabia, and I don't want to talk too much about Saudi Arabia, but it is a very have-and-have-not country, much more than ours. Everyone who is related to or connected to the royal family, and there are hundreds of thousands of them, are millionaires. Everybody else is basically living in poverty. Um, It's a system where economic gains are doled out based on who you're related to and who your friends are, which we say that happens all over the world, but it's really bad there. Um, And so 
you know, and that is where Osama bin Laden came from. Uh, he was one of many he was children. One of the haves. He was one of the many children of his father who owned bin Laden Construction, the largest construction firm in Saudi Arabia, extremely wealthy, and he was not the oldest son, so he was looking for his place in the world, and he fell into being radicalized. And as we know, later on, became the leader of Al-Qaeda, and then 9-11 happens, and then years later, we finally kill him in Pakistan. But So one thing, if we could, just going back to, you were talking about the consequences. Basically, what I hear you talking about is unintended consequences of our foreign policy. Sure. And I do think we have to be careful because the – the economic success of the entire world hinges on the United States Navy. Fair. Okay. On the Navy. Okay. okay. Uh, specifically the Navy, but it, okay. but the United States military in general. Um, the South China Sea, the Red Sea, the Mediterranean, all these places where piracy flourishes. You know, if if the United States and some of our allies weren't out there protecting shipping lanes the worldwide economy would would grind to a halt. Okay. Because you can't ship that much stuff in airplanes. You just can't. You have to have tanker ships going around the world, all over the place. And we're seeing it right now with something that I do support, and this is going to sound weird, but I do actually support our carrier groups being in the Mediterranean and in, in uh, the Red Sea, because if they weren't, the Houthis would be sinking cargo ships left and right. Mm-hmm. And if that happens, once again, everything that you and I need to buy, the price goes up. Okay. And it would be a, a giant drain on the global economy. So when we talk about the war machine, you know, we once again, it's a nuanced conversation. If America withdraws completely from the world, which is actually, believe it or not, what's happening in a lot of places, that's not a good thing. Mm. There has to be some counterbalance to China and Russia. And and that generally is the United States of America and Britain and the former Commonwealth countries, Australia, Canada, the ones that, who, who still are connected very tightly to Britain, and then because of our relationship with Great Britain, they're connected to us. That is a counterbalance to the Russians and the Chinese, and it also is a counterbalance to just the chaos of the world, Somali pirates taking cargo ships. Um, so we can't just completely withdraw from the world, and if we do that, that you know, uh, it's anarchy and not in a good way. It's an interesting topic, and that is, Javier Malay was just elected in Argentina, and it's because their you know their currency, their inflation got way out of control, and somehow he was elected. I don't think a lot of people who voted for him even know what an anarcho-capitalist is. Right. So he's elected. He's in charge. What some criticisms that are being thrown his way by principled libertarians right now are one of the first things he said when he took office, was we're not going to be friendly with communists. We'll trade with them. We're not going to do business, go out of our way to do it, but we will trade, free trade. Um, we are going to be friendly with Israel and the United States. That's one of the first things he said. Mm-hmm. 
and that sounds almost like a uh, like an anarcho capitalist says that. That's like the first thing he said. But I think what 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 he's doing. So there has to be there's a, such thing as being a principled on everything, and then there's also reality. And so I think if you're going to try to um, make good for Argentina or whatever, there are some realistic concessions, or I don't know about concessions or whatever you want to say, but we live in the world we live in. And to, if they were to say, yep, we think it's wrong, everything the United States does will alienate them, it wouldn't be a good move for Argentina. No, no country is going to stand by itself. That's And so... He's making a choice in in the greater sphere of what's going on in the world. He's going to have to choose now. Saying he's going to be friends with Israel, I don't know. That's he that's said. A, that was one of the things yeah. he said. I don't know why. But he, he could have just mentioned the United States. He also right. mentioned Israel. So he can choose to be friends with us and our friends, or he can basically choose to be friends with the BRIC countries. Um, Brazil, Russia, India, and China. And now there's some others that have joined with them. South Africa. Right. Um, and so it's like when you go into prison. If I go into prison as a white guy, what am I going to do? Going to be like, no, 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 I'll just do my own thing. No, you kind of have to. You're going to hook up. Alliances. You're going to hook up with the white guys. Even if those white guys are Aryan Brotherhood who are horrible, horrible people, you're going to hook up with them, and I'm not saying the United States is horrible. I'm just saying that, that you're going to hook up with them because otherwise you're going to get picked off. If you're by yourself, you're you, going to you're going to get picked you off. You want to survive, and whether that is militarily or economically, which is what would happen to Argentina. I don't think it would be militarily, but economically, you have to be you have to have allies. Every nation has to have allies. So I'm glad that he picked us instead of the other side. Um, but 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 he would not advocate for like sanctions or a blockade. Obviously, Argentina is a small player in the right. grand scheme of things, so they're not going to be dropping sanctions yeah. on anyone. But that line of thinking would say the United States. Um, what do you think of like the uh, putting tariffs on China, additional tariffs on China? So, my opinion on tariffs in general, and I am not an economist, and and my opinion is is worth what you paid for it. But I believe in a, in one for one. If the if they're going to put a tariff on something of ours, we put the exact same amount of tariff okay. on one of theirs because okay. that is going to promote free trade more than anything else. If they lift tariffs on our goods to them, then then we lift tariffs on their goods so, to so us. Try to err on the side of not being the one driving the tariffs up. Yes, yes, I'm, and I'm not a, a a big fan of economic sanctions against large countries like China and Russia because they don't work. Because as we see right now, our economic sanctions drop the bottom out of the ruble for a certain amount of time, but it's rebounded and Russia has so much oil and there are so many countries willing to break the sanctions to buy it, including China, and we are not going to stop China from buying Russia's oil the oil oligarchs in Russia are richer now than they were before the Ukraine war. Wow. So. And we're making enemies whenever you do that. Right. So we're making people who hate us even more, maybe. And then uh, if you look at sanctions versus small countries, Cuba, exactly. That's what I was going to say is Cuba. um, It obviously, those sanctions obviously have not removed the communists from power. 
however, what they've done is kept your average Cuban, my in, wife, in in more poverty than they possibly would have been if we had taken a different route with Cuba. Now, there again, that's a very nuanced situation because we have all these Cuban refugees who came here uh, that in the first and second generation were so anti-Castro that they made it impossible for, for any politician from either party to try to be friendly mm. to Cuba. One of the very few things that I agreed with Obama on was that he was trying to normalize relations with Cuba. Now, I don't know if people like your wife have have mellowed any on that as it's, you know, gotten down to the second or third generation. I don't know if they are still so anti-Castro that they wouldn't want relations with Cuba or would they want relations with Cuba so they maybe could go see their extended family. Mm -hmm. You know, that I don't know. That's something you would obviously know more, way more about than I would. My wife came here in 2014. Her parents were both communist public school teachers for like 40-something years. My wife was the first person from her entire family to leave Cuba and go to the United States, and that was in 2014. So... Arguably, they were a complete victim of the poverty. My wife has malnutrition, and she's not shy about this. She's had some medical issues mm-hmm. um, due to starvation. Mm-hmm. So arguably, my wife and her family were um, victims, I would say, of maybe even Marco Rubio-esque Republican Cuban f- people who are pro-freedom, but were putting these sanctions on them. I, that's my take, and I think that's consistent with where my wife is right now. And at the boxing gym I go to where there's a lot of Cubans, it does seem the younger Cubans are anti the sanctions, in my take. Doesn't mean they think Miguel Diaz-Canal, the current um, president or whatever of Cuba, who his slogan is more of the same. That's his whole slogan. So he's basically Fidel Castro 2.0. They don't like him, but it seems to me they acknowledge that sanctions are hurting the poorest of people. Right. So, when we look at the relationship between the United States and Cuba specifically um, now, not based on what happened in the 50s and 60s, uh, and this is going to seem like a weird turn, but I mentioned in my bio that I'm a Christian. So, I think when I encounter someone who's not a Christian, and I have many friends who aren't, I don't think I'm ever going to bring them to seeing my point of view by beating them over the head and telling them they're going to go to hell. I think they're going to they're going to want what I have, what I am more by me being a good friend. What and is that? the house on the what do they say? House on the hill. Shining example is you you be a good person, you right. show them what it's done for you through action. Exactly. And I think that uh in, in the in the case of Cuba specifically and also some some other Caribbean and, and Central and South American countries, I think we probably would have gotten further that way. And and once again, you know, I'm not an expert, but it just seems to me that there's this what could be an island paradise 90 miles off our coast, and and you you know you real you have to realize that we propped up the dictator who was before Castro, Fulgencia Batista. Oh yeah, we we propped him up, and. He was not any better than Castro. His secret police rounded people up and, and, and killed people. And 
you know, prior to Vegas, Havana was our Vegas. The, the, the all of the United States mob families, the mafia, they were in there up to their necks. The United States government was in there. We used it for launching operations throughout the Latin American world. Um, and and once again, I'm not because I didn't live then. I'm not trying to blame those people. I'm just saying that we do have to look at what was our part in that. Um, that's taken a little bit of the earlier conversation, right? To right. to to back yeah. to this one, which I did. You're right. I didn't expect, uh, but it does make sense, right? Uh, uh, Flagencio Batista, and you know, I interview a guy from the Cuban Center in uh, Miami all, a few times. He's a big Republican, like all Cubans in Miami are, mm-hmm. um, probably pro the sanctions and stuff. But he says that Flagencio Batista was a lefty. And a lot of people don't even realize. They kind of thought, oh, more of a right-wing type guy. But Florencio Batista was also, uh, he didn't get the support of the USSR. Right. <laughs> because he had our support. Okay. And, and by default, if we supported him, the Russians wouldn't. And the Russians supported Castro, so we wouldn't. Um, and, you know, I, I do think, too, like once the communists had taken over in Cuba and when you have the Cuban Missile Crisis, that was a situation, just like I said about 9-11, we had to respond. There was no way we could let Russia put nuclear missiles 90 miles from Key West. Mm-hmm. We had to do something. Uh, so so everything is cause and effect. And if, if you look at, okay, these people hate the United States because of what we have done, well, what did other people do that caused us to do that? And did we have missiles in Turkey at that time pointing right at Russia? Um, you got me on that one, did we? I, yeah, that's what, that's what I've heard we, we did. So behind the scenes, RFK senior, I think, and his dad and JFK mm-hmm. negotiated. They didn't want to make it public supposedly. Right. You remove those, we'll remove ours in Turkey. <laughs> okay. So there's always right. a lot going on. But, but you know, the, what I'm just saying is that the cause and effect, it's, it's not just, oh, we did this. So they did that and we deserve it. no. They did that because we did this because they did that because, I mean, it goes back and back and back. You know, one of the things now with the war in Ukraine, one of the many things that Putin has said is he doesn't want NATO right on his borders. And I understand that. If I was him, I wouldn't want NATO on my borders either. But why does NATO exist? NATO exists because after World War II, you know, we did occupy some countries in Germany. However, we did not do what the Russians did and take over Poland and Yugoslavia and Czechoslovakia and Ukraine and the Caucasus regions and put those people under a horrible totalitarian communist government. You know, if, uh, if you can find someone who grew up in West Germany and another person that grew up in East Germany when that was divided and asked them, who would you rather have occupy your country, the Americans or the Russians? I can tell you what the answer is going to be for the vast majority of if them. If they're being honest, I mean, it depends on how scared they are. Because when, you, when you're in the, uh, 
When you're in the eastern side, then I've watched some shit about oh, that. I, I'm you, saying, I'm saying, if you talk to them now, okay, now yeah, that, yeah, now yeah, that, yeah, yeah. now I'm that, I'm just saying they get super brainwashed in that communist stuff. They're right. scared shitless. They're they're used to their siblings that they right. grew up with ratting yeah. them out to the government and shit like the, that. No one trusts each other. So if they knew, or if after the fact, they would look right. back and say, "Yeah, we would have had a better." They'll admit they would have rather lived in South Korea instead of North Korea. Right. <laughs> um. So. You know, NATO exists for a reason. It doesn't just exist because we don't like the Russians and we want to have an alliance to, to stop them. It, it it exists because they were eating up Europe and we would have had another world war eventually. So you like that the, you think the existence of NATO is a good thing? I think that when it was brought into existence, it was a good thing. I don't know. I, I'm I'm honestly not well-versed enough in it to say now, um, I, I'll tell you straight up, I think the existence of the United Nations is horrible. I don't think they're worth anything. But What makes you more sour on the United Nations than you are on NATO? It sounds like you're a little more. Uh, my big thing with the United Nations is that they couldn't exist without our money, yet everything they do seems counter to our interests. Okay, pretty clearly. Yeah, so, you know, and then and then just the sheer stupid hypocrisy of putting countries like North Korea on the Human Rights Council. You know, really. Are they on the Human Rights Council? They have been. I don't know if they are currently, but if you looked up the members of the of the, of the the UN Human Rights Council or committee or whatever it's called, there's always somebody on there that you're looking at and like, really? These mass-murdering secret police state organizations have a say in human rights? Um, and, and I know people will say, oh, the Americans are mass murderers too. But if you look at the long arc of history, as they say, how it, I think it was Martin Luther King said that the long, that the long arc, arc of history leans toward justice. And I think you would see that with our country as well. Mm. That while there are certainly bad things that happen, and, and we'll get back to the defense contractors and all that, but, you know, I heard a, a, a guy in the military talking about the Iraqis one time, and he was like, well, you got to say one thing. If you have to be invaded and conquered, they got invaded and conquered by the nicest guys that could have happened to them. <laughs> you know, because, and that's not to justify the Iraq war. Okay. I'm, not, I'm not justifying that. But, but I think that when we talk about the evils of the United States, we also need to talk about the good of the United States and the things where we are a shining example. I'll say that we do, um, somehow the Korea thing worked out for South Korea pretty good. Right. Okay. So if there's a and test, look, please one, one thing interrupt in me, please. Uh, losing World War II worked out pretty good for the Germans and the Japanese too. Mm. They're doing good now. Both of them are. Okay. Uh, you know, Japan is an economic powerhouse sure. and has been for a long time. Germany's had some up and downs, but generally they're, you know, for many years they were the economic engine of Europe. Um, and those are countries that, once we beat them in World War II, we did occupy both of them. Um, we still have military bases in both, but it's not an occupation. You don't have American military police on the streets telling Japanese citizens how to live their lives. You know, um, where the countries that 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 were occupied by communi- by the communists, most of them suffered under that for at least forty years. That's an interesting thing. You and I were talking before we recorded, and I said communists 
are evil as shit, but they're not dumb. Right. I might want to take that back to a degree. Because I think in a way, the, the smartest thing the United States does is give us all this freedom. Look at the life we get to live. Mm-hmm. So look at all these ambassadors we have. Mm-hmm. Communism is not very good at that shit. No, okay? not at all. So if you're playing the long game, right? that doesn't sound that smart. So I guess I got carried away. I was Earlier I was telling Lewis off air, communists are evil as shit. I hate them, but they're smart. And in a lot of cases they are, obviously. And Stalin seemed to be slicker. Right. For whatever reason, than Hitler, for example, although he killed way more people, he was right. he comes out of that looking like not even really the bad guy, right? <laughs> well, if you look at if you look at uh, around the world, you of course have neo Nazi organizations that think Hitler was was great. That's wild. And I've tried to look into some of the rationale for stuff right. like that. Well, but but most people with half a brain will hear that rhetoric and think, you all are nuts, mm-hmm. okay? How many left-wing Americans do we have that are enamored with communism? Yeah. That's why I say they're smart. You know, because they, they've won over the educate. So they take over institutions, right? right? The Nazis and the right wing, the, the far right, whatever you want to call it, I don't know. That doesn't seem, they don't, it doesn't seem to be as sellable of a product. Right. And they're both evil. Sure. You know, any any totalitarianism, whether it's left-wing or right-wing, is evil. Sure. Um, but for some reason, in the freest countries, left-wing totalitarianism is not looked at nearly as harshly as right-wing totalitarianism. Um, you, we've known each other for eight years now. You've seen a lot of my posts. You know who I am. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's probably some stuff you don't know about me, but you, you know like kind of what I want to, you know, right. what I share, things yeah. like that. Do you think, and you're not going to offend me either way, do you think what I stand for, what my political message is, is anti-America? No, I do think some of it is misguided. Okay. Um, I think that... Uh, when you talk about anarcho-capitalism or hardcore libertarianism, um, on the human rights side of it, I agree with you. As what, far as people being free to live their lives as they see fit, generally. Um, my issue, and I've read and watched documentaries, is that... so. In America today, we are heavily overtaxed, and those tax dollars do not go for many things that benefit your average American. However, um, I know, and I don't know if you're this way, but I do know a lot of libertarians and anarcho-capitalists don't think there should be any taxes. Um, And, you know, and then if someone like me brings up the old argument, well, who's going to pave the road? Well, the people will get together and pay. That wouldn't happen. Okay. So you're more of a minarchist. I, I, I would say so. Which is probably consistent with like the founding fathers. I want to They know, were not anarchists. They were more so minimal, small government. I want to know that if I call 911 at 3 o'clock in the morning, someone's coming. Mm-hmm. I don't want to have someone kicking in the door of my house or my house is on fire and I'm calling all of my neighbors saying, hey, can you bring your gun or can you bring buckets of water? You know what I'm saying? I want, if my house is on fire, I want a professional full-time trained fire department that can come and put the fire out. Mm-hmm. 
I do think, even though I'm not enamored with our current public education system, I do think there has to be a public education system because some people are either not going to have the money for private school or not going to have the ability to homeschool their children. Okay. So that's where I fall apart from the hardcore. That's right. Of uh, course. Liber- libertarians is that, you know, they're, and, and I've had people tell me, well, sure, because your entire life you've had government jobs. That's true. And the government jobs that I've had are the kind of government jobs I've talking about, I'm talking about that I think are necessary. I do think you have to have police, you have to have fire, you have to have some type of prison system, which is a whole other rabbit wow, hole we wow, can go, yeah. that's a whole rabbit hole we can go down, and I might agree with you more on some of that than you might expect. Okay. But you've got to have prisons. You know, there are people out there that if you don't lock them up, they will rape and rob and murder. And and because I've been a police officer for 30 years, I've been face-to-face with some of these people. Sure. Um, and... You know, I love dogs. I love dogs. But there are some dogs that will bite you if given the chance, and you can't just have them, you can't just take them to the dog park and let them loose with, the, okay. with everyone else, you know. And, that, and, and people, unfortunately, are the same way. They're very few. And there are a lot of things that are against the law that I don't think we should be putting people in prison for. But, but we do have to have that system. Um, we do have to have road crews. We do have, you know, would you really want to get on an airplane if there was no FAA? You know, I don't know. I, I, to imagine what stage of it would I, you know, if I've, 20 years they've been doing this, Kelly, and this is the system. It's not through the government, but it's actually got a better, you know, look at this. It's actually got a better track record than back when the government was under control. In that scenario, maybe. I, I don't have some, you know. Right. Some view that well that did the government. I actually think. I mean, look at. Um, I actually think the other way. <laughs> What's that? You don't want to get on a plane with because of the FAA? Or? I mean, I would lean more that way. I would think the government would be more likely to fuck it up than a, a, a real Elon Musk owned uh, privatized version. Yes, for sure. I would. Now that doesn't mean that I disagree with everything you said, and I think if we had Rand Paul sitting here with us, I, I went to a Rand Paul. Got to meet Rand Paul once. And went to his, uh, I think it was in Shelby County or LaGrange. Um, he had a, a campaign rally when he was running against uh, Charles Booker. And he got up there and he gave a speech that sounded just like a normal Republican. He was talking about being pro-police and, you know. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, this is Ron Paul's son. You know, he knows everything I know. Way right. more. More well-read on everything that I know. Um, but there are some, some things that you got to realistically at some point. If you want to have a country, you got to focus on borders. You can't be an open borders libertarian. Right. And then have a country. Right. You Really, you know, I guess yeah. theoretically, you know, if we could get every, you know, I, I, maybe they could happen. I'm not going to say couldn't, but realistically. Um, some form of police, of course, at some level, you know, how do you do that as a state? Is it legitimately a state by state? type thing do we make the united states back like how it was supposed to be where if kentucky decides to secede it's no big deal they can secede when they want uh, and kind of do their own thing uh you know if if we had something like that in line and thomas massey's running for president i made a post the other day and he's like well i'm actually going to do this yeah we gotta it's not completely libertarian but i actually mean what i say about the <laughs> cutting the military spending right 
or the world police thing or because right. what I hear a lot of behind closed doors is my Republican friends, including my dad and my brother, saying like, I agree, we shouldn't be funding those wars. I actually agree with you. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, you keep, <sighs> everyone says that. Like what? Nobody, I don't hear anyone talking about it on the Republican side. I mean, it's at least Trump even, I think I've heard Trump say we shouldn't be funding those wars. But then right. when you're in office, it all continues. It all, The whole thing go, goes on. Right. Um, so what I'm saying, I, I, um, realistically, we, yeah, obviously we have to have some form of safety borders, um, rational domestic. And I think for the most part, the United States is doing relatively good domestically. Yes. I would agree on that. Yeah. Right. It's not that bad. I think anyone born here, they got a pretty good chance at having a great life and they can fly to Europe whenever they want. And this is where all the millionaires are. Way more millionaires in the United States than any other country. Way more billionaires. I don't know if you've looked at those numbers. It's crazy. The people from India want to send their kids here for a reason. I mean, this is where it's at. If you want to start buying rental properties, which is what I'm trying to do, and then eventually somehow stumble into being a millionaire, this is the place to do it. Right. Absolutely. There's, there's no doubt about that. So there's no complaints for me on it. Uh, I don't think on the domestic front. Does that make sense? And you haven't seen I'm being at least consistent with what I'm saying. I'm not right. bitching about like this country sucks to live in. Right. If you hear me say that, slap me in the face. Right. Because well, there's right, no other place. Right off the bat, there's no one stopping us from having this conversation. That's a big one. You know, and, and that's, we keep kind of going from topic to topic, but that's something that, that really bothers me right now is is the push to stifle free speech wow um i appreciate that you came on here because that actually takes some balls to a degree right right. Eh, i mean not too bad i don't think i'm gonna say anything that's gonna get me in trouble and agreed paul maskey's come on here and said some wilder stuff than i'm sure you'll say yeah and i don't um i believe that if you have strongly held beliefs those beliefs need to stand up to some scrutiny that if if it's just I believe it because somebody on Instagram said it, then it's useless as far as I'm concerned. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if if I thought that you were somebody, even if we disagreed more than we do, but you would sit here and talk to me like this, I would talk to you. But, sure. But if you were going to scream in my face and call me a jackbooted Nazi or anything like that, I'd be out. They just wouldn't happen. But if we're going to sit down and talk about views, even if they're different, um, uh, one of my sons, wonderful young man, um, works full time for the Louisville Public Library. Just got he was part time for a long time. Just got that job, and he's pretty left leaning. Uh, and we can sit and talk just like you and I are talking, and we agree on some things. We disagree on a lot of things, but but I don't get mad at him, and he doesn't get mad at me because we both figure out that we're refining what we believe. And making sure that if somebody we don't know says, well, why do you believe that? We can give them a good answer. Sure. And being comfortable having friends who have different opinions on issues right. um, is a valuable, obviously a valuable skill for life, right. for living a, a, a fruitful life. I mean, you exactly. don't need to be in a, a, a echo chamber at exactly. all times. That's exactly. not healthy. No one, no one would even say that's healthy. We all know that's not healthy. Right. <laughs> But we have echo chambers. <laughs> of course. We all know. know it's unhealthy. But. Yeah. I, I haven't been on Facebook for 10 years. And Scott just recently 
convinced me to because of the fact that I'm teaching a class out in Shelby County now. Okay. He's like, you've got to be on there for the student page. and this. So I begrudgingly went back on. But I that's saw. one reason I haven't been on there forever. And uh, one reason I go back and forth with Instagram, I'll have Instagram on my phone for two or three months, and then I'll del- I don't I don't delete my account, but I'll delete the app for six months and not be on there. Uh, which is why sometimes you might, oh, why did Lewis just start posting all my stuff? It's because I haven't been on Instagram forever, and I got back on and I saw that, and I was like, oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna say something about that. I appreciate you commenting because I, I never know. I know that I'm f- at least interpreting everything that I consume. You know, and then if I believe something, I, if I actually do believe something, I should say it no matter what, right? You should. uh, And, but what I was saying is that social media gives us, people get into these echo chambers where no matter how crazy their belief is, there's an echo chamber for it where they can be reinforced. And that that applies to me too. And then the other thing too, um, which I don't get this from you, but is that going back to the free speech is that anything that challenges their belief is now hate speech or stochastic terrorism, or yeah, yeah, something that well, we see it mostly from the left. The left. I'm not. And would you call me a lefty? No, not really. Okay. Um, I would say you're moderate in some things, right in some things, and very libertarian in other things. You know, which is kind of where where I fall too. Except some of the places where we are, it's different. Sure. Different different subjects. Um, okay. Actually, just one moment here. All right, we are back. Lewis, you brought some notes that we were able to review during our break. And one of the stories I thought was relevant to this was I was talking to, let's say, a friend, a Republican friend a few days ago. And he was trying to get me convince me to vote for Trump. He was, which is cool. If you want him to win, I get it. You, you're like, he thinks I'm rational. I should vote for Trump. I acknowledge the left is evil. Mm-hmm. I should vote for Trump. I'm not going to. Um, just, you know, that's that's just what I want to do. I And I said to him, my friend said to me, well, I guess you should go find another country to live in. And I don't think he really wants me to leave the country. He loves me. He's my friend. And I said, well, actually, I would argue my... I'm going to vote for who the libertarian candidate is. I think it'll be Michael Rechtenwald, very principled libertarian, who does believe in borders, just so everyone knows. Yep. That's a big one, because sometimes the, the libertarians are, are open borders. So, so everyone knows Michael Rechtenwald is pro-borders. Um, I said, I, I would argue, me voting for Michael Rechtenwald, even though he's going to lose, is more consistent with what the founders of our country had envisioned than you voting for Donald Trump is what I told him. So, Lewis, I'll ask, what, what, what are your thoughts on, on that? So, I believe you should vote your conscience. And I, I believe you should research how and why you're going to vote or not vote for someone. Uh, for me personally, even though I am, I'm a registered Republican, I'm not a big fan of a lot of people in the Republican Party. I do think some of the best people in the Republican Party happen to be from Kentucky. Man, we're uh, lucky as hell. Through my radicalization into the libertarian world, I'm like, what the hell? Yeah. 50 states and this is the one I happen to live in? Is I got right. Massey and Rand Paul? Right. So, But for me, um, and as I mentioned before, I have friends and, and family members who are, who are 
pretty far left and and I know that they love me and I love them but for me the democratic party I am a christian straight white male police officer gun owner traditional marriage Every day, somebody in the Democratic Party tells me that I am everything that's wrong with the world. And as much as I don't like it, I vote sometimes out of fear. Because mm. even though I don't like the Republicans, I am scared to death of the left getting total power. And I would rather hold my nose and vote for Donald Trump because I am not a Donald Trump fan. Okay. Voted for him twice. Looks like I'm going to end up voting for him again because I'm going to vote for whoever the Republican nominee is. Uh, for me, it's it's a cost-benefit of an analysis that I might would rather vote for a libertarian if I thought they had any chance of winning, which the argument to that is, well, if nobody votes for them, they're never going to have a chance of winning. But they've got a lot of work to do to convince me that they have a chance. When they start winning city council positions and state legislature positions on a large scale not not just one here and there yeah i was getting ready to say there is a couple there's we a got couple one in K- kentucky shout out to bill schult northern kentucky he's a member of city council for his city i forget a small right. city but he's on the city council but you're right that's very few and far the, between they're very few and far between when the libertarian party party can get their act together enough to to start winning seats in state legislatures and mayorships and more city council, then maybe I could consider them for others. But as of right now, I mean, if we sit here right now and I just ask you point blank, is the Libertarian Party candidate going to win the presidency of the United States? In 2024? Yes. Definitely no. Zero percent chance. I guess 0.00001. There's technically a chance. Right. It's like very, very minimal. So, so for me, I would rather see you vote Republican than Libertarian. And that's what my friend was telling me, right? And and I don't think you should leave the country. And I don't. And and I'm still your friend, even if you vote for the Libertarian. Yeah. But for me, because of everything that I have seen and who I am, even though I don't like some stuff the Republicans do, and I will criticize them about it, as I have already here. Sure. I am always going to vote for a Republican against a Democrat unless the Democrats change, but the Democrats have not shown me any desire to change. And when you have, you know, people in the democratic party, like the, the previous mayor of New York, Bill de Blasio and the current governor of New York, Kathy Hochul saying, we don't want you here. We don't want you to come here. You know, if, if you're not one of us, you know, if you voted for Trump, you're not welcome. Okay, that's fine. Guess what state will never get one of my dollars in tourism. Um, and, and the same thing, as I said, the Democratic Party, they say that they're not, but there is really only one party that has pushed defund the police. There is one party that tries to sue people over their religious beliefs. There is one party that is trying every day to take guns from American citizens. There is one party pushing the LGBTQ agenda, and I'm not talking about gay people in general. I'm talking because I have gay friends as well. I'm talking about the specific agenda that gets pushed. And and those parties it's not it's not the Republicans. Um the Republicans have done some things that as a police officer I disagree with, but uh I I can't vote 
for a Democrat, and I can't not I can't not vote for the people that might get that could possibly keep the Democrats from getting power. In a perfect world, you're a Republican candidate. Maybe it wouldn't be Donald Trump. Maybe it'd be Massey or Rand Paul. Yes, for you, right? Rand Paul. I'm sorry, Thomas Massey was the sole member of the House who voted. They 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 tried to do a a what it was called a symbolic seven page resolution mm-hmm. that calls on the government to do all it can protect. And the reason I thought of this, and this is why I like bouncing around, is because you said the Republicans don't. And I was like, do they have they condemn people for religious? And I agree, the left does it more. Mm-hmm. I agree with everything you said. Um, I was thinking, okay, that that was an interesting point. But I guess if there's a Republican version of it, it could be this. They passed a seven-page resolution. It was said to be symbolic, condemning anti-Semitism. Mm-hmm. Thomas Massey was out of 421 people voted. 420 people voted to condemn anti-Semitism. Thomas Massey, mm-hmm. Kentucky member of Congress, mm-hmm. U.S. Congress. I know about that vote. Okay. He voted no. Why do you think he voted that way? Because that resolution was written so that if you are anti-Zionist, you are anti-Semitic. Okay. If you don't believe in Zionism, then they are saying through that that you are anti-Jewish. And and those two things are not one in the same. Could you help to uh, describe the difference, please? So... Anti-Zionism would be being against the, as I, okay, at a, when you go back to the foundation of the country of Israel, um, when, when Britain had the Palestine mandate, Great Britain controlled that area of the world after World War II, we had just come out of seeing millions of Jews horribly murdered by the Nazis, and the Jews wanted a homeland, which I do believe the Jews have a right to a homeland. I absolutely do. But that the movement to make Israel the Jewish homeland was called Zionism. And it obviously succeeded because Israel has been the Jewish homeland. They have the right of return. If you are a Jewish person from anywhere in the world, you can, go, you can move to Israel whenever you want and become an Israeli citizen um however what zionism has become currently is the state of israel doing basically whatever they want to the palestinians as far as settlements in the west bank and things that are going on in gaza and that type of stuff and that resolution as it was written as it would be applied, would basically say if you're critical of civilians getting killed in Gaza, then you're an anti-Semite. And those two things are not the same. I can say that what Hamas did on October 7th was absolutely horrible, and I can say, just like I said about 9-11, that there is nothing else Netanyahu could have done except 
exact some kind of revenge for that. I don't know what Hamas was thinking because there was going to, when you kill over a thousand Israelis, and if you scale that on per capita to what it would be in our country, it's like hundreds of thousands of people, right? There was going to be a response that was way out of proportion. There, there had to be. The Israeli citizens would have not allowed anything else. But that doesn't mean that I can't have a place in my heart to say that the innocent people in in Gaza who weren't who prob, who may have thought that what Hamas did was terrible also that they shouldn't get killed or bombed out of their houses and that type of thing and and where we are at in the current political political spectrum is that if you criticize Israel at all you are an anti-semite and that is just that's not true i cri- i can criticize the American government, and I love America. I wouldn't want to live anywhere else. I'm, I literally think that for me to be born here was, in my opinion, a blessing from God. But even if you look at it without religion, it's incredibly lucky. You know, of all these, what, eight or nine billion people on the world, I get to be born here. I don't hate America. I don't hate Americans, but I criticize the American government. You know, so criticizing the Israeli government doesn't mean that I hate Jewish people. It doesn't make me an anti-Semite or you an anti-Semite or anybody on the right or left who has a different view of these things. It doesn't make you an anti-Semite now. But when you say from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free, which is a war cry that goes that the reality of that means we're as as the mullahs in Iran have said we are going to drive the Jews into the sea. That is anti-Semitism. So you, you do believe t- saying that would associate with anti-Semitism? The, the I do believe that the phrase "from the river to the sea" is anti-Semitic. Somewhat Absolutely. similar, somewhat similar to if I were to walk up and down the street with a BLM flag right now, you could make an argument that that's kind of a violent type of representing violence in my opinion somewhat similar does that make any sense yes you see a somewhat similarity right exactly okay but well said uh, you know uh, interesting so do do you think thomas massey is anti-semitic i don't know thomas massey personally so i can't say but i haven't seen anything that he's said or done that would make me believe he hates jewish people because that's what anti-semitism is it is a hatred of jewish people Okay, as an evangelical Christian, I believe that they were God's chosen people. I can't hate them. I'm not allowed to. Mm. God will not allow. God does not want me to hate anybody, but he especially doesn't want me to hate his chosen people. Okay. Do you think what you just described there has fueled from the evangelical right a little bit of the, I guess, Lindsey Graham or some of the the uh, the rapture type uh, uh, crowd who's cheering on the the an attack on um, to defending the, the Jews because they are the chosen people. Um, do you think that has negatively impacted what we're seeing happen from Israel toward the people of Gaza? Yes. In, okay. Can you elaborate? I mean, sh- uh, there, there are evangelical Christians that do believe that whether it's this war or some other war that it's going to bring about the end times and my response to that is and and i've i've read the bible multiple times i went through a two-year 
in-depth course at, at Southeast to learn more about my religion, not just the Bible, but history of of the religion wow, and everything. So, wow, I need to have you back on the podcast. So, <laughs> but But my belief is that no one... The Bible, Jesus, not not even just the Bible, but Jesus himself said no one except the Father knows the date and the time. Nobody knows. And everyone who has predicted the end of the world or revelation, end times, whatever, they've always been wrong. Because Jesus said nobody knows except the Father. And um, I think that Christians who want to bring that about are very misguided. Um, I, a, a good friend of mine, uh, used to be a good friend. I actually, actually haven't talked to him in years, but I'd like to said to me one time we were talking about this subject and he said, I'm on the welcoming committee, not the planning committee. And that's how I see it. It's my job. When Jesus shows up, if he shows up in my lifetime, I need to be ready and welcome him, but I'm not the one in charge of planning when it happens. You're in charge of, of, of handling yourself the, the way that you think Jesus would want you to handle yourself. Exactly. Throughout your life, right. so that at any time, hopefully, right, 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 seems to okay. What if you had to guess? And I'm giving you some fun questions. Um, if you had to guess of the people who lean to the evangelical right in our country, what percent of them subscribe to this rapture theology? Well, uh, <laughs> that's a pretty tricky question. That, that's not trying to set you up. So, I'm, just, I'm curious so, because you are evangelical, right? Right. Yes. Leaning. So it depends on how you're defining defining rapture theology because I believe there will be a rapture. Okay, okay. But 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 wasn't there some relatively new there, editions that were written uh within the past 500 years? Th- there are things that have been written about taking things from the Bible and saying, okay, this sign is is pointed to here and that's going to be this. And and what you have inside the Christian faith, there's a very good book. um, It's called Across the Spectrum. And what the authors of that book did is they take things like this and they take the biblical reasons of why someone might believe the way this rapture movement that you're talking about or somebody might believe the way I believe. And they'll say, okay, there are actually biblical bases for both of these. So as Christians, we shouldn't really argue about this. Because it's not a central tenet to our faith, which our central tenet to our faith is that we're all sinners and that Jesus is the Son of God who came to earth and died for our sins and rose on the third day. And through him only, through belief in him, we have grace that will allow us to go to God and have eternal life. Um, There are different views in Christianity about what heaven is. You know, some people believe it is a literal physical place with streets of gold. Other people who who are just as knowledgeable about the Bible believe that it is a spiritual union with God, that we will be with God forever, more than it is a physical place. And I'm going to be honest with you, neither one of those is a hill that I'm going to die on. I just know that the alternative is worse. Sure. So... um I do think that there are some evangelicals who do have blind support of the Israeli government because of their biblical views. And I can't argue for or against them without them being here and both of us having our Bibles open. Sure. 
You see what I'm saying? Um, I do believe, for instance, that that like I I believe in the existence of Israel. That's why I said that, you know that whole from the river to the sea thing. I'm out on that. Um, okay. And and I do believe also that it is good for the United States to have a um, democratic ally in the Middle East. And I do believe that Jews are special to God. Um, There again, and across the spectrum, some evangelical Christians believe that Jews are still God's chosen people. Some evangelicals believe that we are now God's chosen people because of Christ. There again, that's not something I can debate without my Bible in front of me, but I do know that for thousands of years before Christ, the the Jews were his chosen people, and nothing in the New Testament says that they're not. Okay? So I do think the United States... This is it's such a tough touchy subject and it's so nuanced. Like I do believe we have some as the largest evangelical nation in the world, I do believe we have some responsibility to protect Israel. Okay. I'm I'm still going. Let yeah, me go yeah, for a that's minute. That's okay. Yeah, yeah. I appreciate you doing that. But I think, you know, part of this whole thing is that humans are flawed. We're not perfect. God is the only perfect one. Um, you know, God in the Trinity of God the Father, God the Son. God, the Holy Spirit, which, you know, you understand, obviously. Um, Because humans are flawed, though, that's where we get into the thing of, I am allowed to criticize the government of Israel if I don't agree with what they do. And I want to, you know, I want to talk to you about, there's a story um, from Fox News. It goes back to 2001. In 2001, I was a St. Matthews police officer. Uh, and this was happening in the Mall St. Matthews. The Jewish government, specifically the IDF, placed kiosks in malls close to military bases. Have you ever been in the Mall St. Matthews? I don't think they have them anymore, but they used to have kiosks for dead sea salt. You know, you put it on your face and it helps, or gifts from the Holy Land, and they would have all this wooden... I probably stuff. walked by it, but I, I never noticed. Well, the other thing is we're talking, this story came out 23 years ago. Okay. Well, I was in, you know, I was 18 years old in right. 2001, and I was going to the Mall St. Matthews all the time probably. So. so so what they did is they put these kiosks in malls, and they would um, talk to people who were customers. Oh, my friend, what do you do for a living? Oh, you're a police officer, or you're in the... Oh, we have a discount for you on this. And now they have your name, because it's on your credit card. They know what you do. They know where you work. And they would literally feed that into their intelligence machine to see if you were someone who was worth them pursuing. Wow. And they did They put. They did this in malls all across America, including the Mall St. Matthews, to try to get their hooks into military and civilian officials. Holy shit, I'm glad that you were shushing me a second ago. I'm glad you got to this. Okay. Do, are you scared of sounding like a conspiracy theorist saying this? I mean, this was this was a known thing. It was the, so you're the, not. the United States government uncovered this. Okay. And and you remember it. Uh, not only that, before I because I knew we'd probably end up talking about it, I went and dug up the story. Okay. Okay. Go on. I need to shut the hell up. Keep going. 
So, so my point is, if I am critical of that, of them spying on me because I am a civilian official as a police officer, if I bought something from them and used a debit card and now they've got my name and they know what I do and they feed, they feed all this information in their intelligence machine, the vast majority of those, some analyst somewhere is being like, he has no power, he's not worth it, blah, blah, blah. If I'm critical of that operation, does that make me an anti-Semite? Definitely. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, no, no, no. I, I, uh, don't, keep stop, going. don't stop me yet. Yep. Okay. Keep going. This is a story from Politico from 2019. Israel plants listening devices near the White House. Trying to pick up conversations of our political leaders. Okay. There again, if I'm critical of that, if if I'm saying that a, a country that we give $3.3 billion every year prior prior to the current war in Gaza, obviously it's it's multiplied by since then. But as of 2022, we gave the state of Israel $3.3 billion. Fixed every year. They're number one. And guess who's number two? Egypt, I believe. And why, why is that? Because so we can so we can control that area through controlling the purse strings of them. Um, you know, some people will say we do it to keep them pitted against each other, but actually, since the Six Day War, I don't believe Israel and Egypt have had any armed conflict. We're basically buying peace and influence with that money. Okay, but what I'm saying is, if we're giving these people three point three billion dollars a year, they shouldn't be spying on us, man. And that's not, and that's not me being against Jewish people. That's against me. That's me criticizing the government of Israel, and that doesn't make me an anti-Semite. As I said, they're God's chosen people. I have to believe that. I am required to love them. Okay, and I do. I have a, a very good friend who's a lieutenant on Louisville Metro who's Jewish. I have another friend who is in the knife business that's Jewish, and I and I love these guys, and I would do anything for them. And they know I'm not an anti-Semite, just like they're not anti-Christian. But I, but this goes back to free speech thing. I have to have a right to make legitimate criticism against the Israeli government if they're spying on Americans in malls and putting planning listening devices near the White House. And if that's the, if those are the things that that we know a hundred percent happened, right? Safe to say, I'll go out on a limb and say there's been other things we haven't right. heard of, and and I'm sure that we spy on some of our allies too. But would the state of Israel exist without America at this point in history? It came into existence without America. It was most England. yes, but would it exist as it is today without America? doesn't seem like it would to me at all and here's the other thing does does that three point that 3.3 billion is just aid from the american government how much aid does israel get from christian and jewish organizations in america i I don't know the number but i bet it's at least that much and i bet there's some other weapons deals that aren't included in the three point you know there's some other stuff we're very supportive of israel right you could almost say israel's extension it is the united states kind of because it's the only democracy in the region okay now 
You want to talk about the other side? About the Palestinians? Sure. Um, none of what I'm going to say now justifies innocent Palestinians being killed. However, um, under the previous king of Jordan, King Hussein, who was King Abdullah's father, they are both the Hashemite dynasty that controls Jordan. There were many Palestinians in Jordan they, once they left Israel. Uh, and when I say many, I mean to the point that they had their own militia that had 28,000 men under arms. Would you agree with the, the description that 750,000 people were forcibly displaced from Palestine in 1948? Uh. I don't know the exact number. I can't. I can't. But that doesn't. I can't give you a blanket agreement. But I know a whole lot of people were displaced. Okay. Um, but Jordan. Okay. So that that's probably where they came from. Well, many many of the Palestinians went. Yes, left Israel and went into Jordan. They went all over the Middle East. Sure. You know, the West Bank is not the the West Bank is the West Bank of the Jordan River. It's actually on the eastern part of Israel, but it's the west bank of the Jordan River. And, and something that you have to ask is, why have Muslim countries not taken the Palestinians in? Okay, and there's a lot of reasons for that, but what I was getting back to is in Jordan, the Palestinians had, had, a, had a militia of 28,000 men, armed men, existing inside the state of Jordan, which was controlled by the Hashemite dynasty, which is King Hussein at this point in time. They basically acted as both a military wing and as an organized crime wing. They um, blackmailed people. They black shook down businesses for protection money, all, all kinds of stuff. And ultimately, King Hussein, it got so out of control, and they were calling for the overthrow of the Hashemite dynasty, and King Hussein had to kick them out. The majority of them went to Lebanon. At that point in history, Lebanon was known, the city of Beirut was Monaco of the, on the Mediterranean. It was a beautiful place. It was a place where Europeans went on vacation. Uh, the, the government was a secular government that was mostly Maronite Christians. Within a couple of years of the Palestinians getting kicked out of Jordan and going to Lebanon, it had descended into civil war. So they, they tried to overthrow the government of Jordan, when they were pushed out of Jordan into Lebanon, they did overthrow the government of Lebanon, and Lebanon has been in civil war ever since. In Kuwait, when Saddam Hussein invaded Kuwait, the Palestinians who lived in Kuwait organized and supported Saddam Hussein against the Kuwaiti government. So when we left, or when we went in and kicked Saddam Hussein out of Kuwait, and then when we the majority of our forces withdrew. We still have some there, obviously. The Kuwaitis kicked them out. Similar story in Egypt. That is why throughout this war in Gaza, the Egyptians have been very reluctant to let Palestinian refugees come through. Is it Khan Yunus? I think. I'm not sure where. I'm not sure, yeah. Where that's the, the, the checkpoint, southern Gaza, that would lead into Egypt. Okay. The Egyptians, they have let some refugees through, but by and large, they have not let large numbers of refugees through because when there were large numbers of Palestinians in Egypt, they created uprisings there. Now, I'm not 
saying this to justify violence against the Palestinians, but I'm saying there is a history there. Um, and, and it's, it's a, it's a history that most Americans don't even know about, much less have a desire to look at critically. Okay. Okay. And, and there again, I'm not saying that I am anti-Palestinian at all. I'm just talking about historically sure. what has happened with Palestinian, large Palestinian minorities in these other Arab countries, which is why, you know, uh, the West Bank problem, and this is very much an oversimplification, but you would think, well, the West Bank problem would be completely ended if the Jordanians would just let them cross the river and live in that Muslim country. Well, the Jordanians tried that, and it didn't work. Okay. Um, the problem in Gaza could just be eliminated if, if Egypt would just let them cross into Egypt and, and live there in a, in a friendly Muslim country. They tried that, and it didn't work. Um, and I'm not, like I said, I, I, I'm not trying to be anti anybody. I think I'm criticizing both sides. Sure, here. sure. Um, that doesn't change the facts of I think like half the population in Gaza is uh, under the age of 18 or almost half, and right. they're just being slaughtered. And yeah, I mean that you're not. I'm not just. I'm not justifying at that all. At yeah. all. I, I'm just saying that everything in America is 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 a black and white. You're with us or against us. Mm. And and it's it is almost never that simple, never. The Republican versus Democrat thing. When I when I went through COVID, I really got my eyes opened somehow. Then about how huh? Well, the Republicans are, and then I saw the deficit with Trump, the spending. I was like, this just sounds like bullshit. They claim to be the fiscally conservative ones, and mm-hmm. I I don't know. I I think that. The black or white thing that you touched on can be you're with us or you're against us. The re- the Democrats versus the Republicans, those being the only two, mm-hmm. you got to fall in line with this side or this side, and they're all your, your opinions have to be uniform for each side. I think that's a bad thing. Well, and people are extremely tribal. We see it down to sports teams. Sure, you know people will argue or get in a physical fight over their sports team, much less who's going to run the country. Sure. Um, so, you know, we have that. And, and one thing that is, and this is something that my, my son told me one time when we were having one of our political discussions, is that there's, you know, everybody knows about neocons, you know, neoconservatives um, who exploded onto the scene when the second President Bush was president. You know, but there are neoliberals too. And neocons and neoliberals control most of the power in this country and there is very little difference between them they carry the same water they just carry it to different people could you give a brief uh definition of what is a neoliberal what is a neocon please so a conservative is a almost almost how most people would would view a libertarian today is small government get the government out of my life I'll pay some taxes for schools and roads and cops and firemen, but other than that, leave me alone. Um, They generally have socially conservative views when it comes to cultural issues, um, where a neocon is most of the Republicans you see in politics today. Um, They seem to always be for war. Uh, 
everything they do seems about making somebody rich, but while they, but they push it as somehow conservative values. A classical liberal is also someone who believes in personal freedom. However, they might they're more culturally freewheeling as far as drugs, sexual identity, those type of things where conservatives tend to be more conservative on those areas. Um, but a, a, a classical liberal is going to defend free speech. They're not going to try to stop free speech. Um, they're generally going to be, I, won't, I don't want to say pro-drug, but pro-drug legalization, that type of things, where, you're cons- where a classical conservative is not. A, a, a neoliberal is Nancy Pelosi. And a neocon is Mitch McConnell. Does that make any sense? I think so. Very good description. You know, where where now a neoliberal, instead of being for free speech like a classical liberal, a neoliberal wants to shut down any speech that threatens them. Um, instead of a, a, a classical conservative is for lower taxes and less government intrusion in your life, but neocons are not that. They They... They give lip service to that, just like neoliberals will give lip service to classical liberal ideas, but they're not really liberal. You know, to me, a classical liberal is more about personal freedom. Um, a classical conservative would be more of what people might term, and I'm using air quotes here, traditional American values. Um, but our politicians from the left and the right seem to be neither one of those things usually anymore. Well put. You hear those terms. Um, okay, in hindsight, you said it came around second Bush. In hindsight, was Reagan possibly a neocon based on that definition you just gave? Because spending was through the roof. <laughs> uh, spending was through the roof. Um, there was some gun control that happened under Reagan that slipped under the radar. Uh, I read this book by RFK about Fauci, and I believe Anthony Fauci's evil as shit. Um, But a lot of the Reagan, at least according to RFK, who's of course team Democrat, but anyways, um, a lot of the Reagan deregulation is how they would put it, of course, from the left, um, did in fact give pharmaceutical companies the rights to do some things um, and to corner the market on certain patents and to make a bunch of money, which was not necessarily for the best of us here in the country. Um, But but he he blames that, of course, on Reagan. Once again, for, uh, you know, full disclosure, that's RFK Jr., Team Democrat. So one of Ronald Reagan's best friends in Washington, D.C. was Tip O'Neill who was a Democrat, who was Speaker of the House. And they made a lot of grand bargains or grand deals, if you were, um, including the ones you're talking about that did so much for the pharmaceutical companies. They're also the ones that shut down the vast majority of uh, what used to be called insane asylums. But I would say almost carceral mental health institutions where you're stuck there, you can't get out. Um, and that was a thing, that was a thing that there were some very bad things that happened in some of those institutions. But when you throw the baby out with the bathwater, you now have homeless people with untreated mental illness 
all over America. And uh, there are some things that I like about Ronald Reagan, but that was a deal that he did with Tip O'Neill. It was part of that grand bargain. And so, um, you know, it's a, it's a hard question. I think some of neoconservatism might go back to Reagan, although Reagan was really good of, of talking traditional American values. Um, whether or not it actually happened, um, who knows. And I'll tell you, just a little brief aside, talking about Reagan and first President Bush, by the way, uh, I was an usher at George H.W. Bush's inauguration. Oh, wow. Yeah, my first duty station in the Coast Guard, I was in the Presidential Honor Guard in Washington, D.C. Wow, I think Paul Maskey worked some oh, big, really? relatively big something else, too. That's pretty yeah. cool. Yeah, well, he's a lot younger than me, so it wouldn't have been Ooh, that not, one. No, no, of course not that one, but, I mean, something somewhat, yeah. to the Kelly Patrick Show audience, somewhat uh, along the same vein. Yeah, yeah so, yeah. But. What do you think of Ron Paul? That's okay. If you disagree with him on anything, that's okay. Um, you know what I mean? I, 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 you, it, me having people on, like I said, my buddy came on the other day, and, you know, we definitely disagree on a lot of the war stuff. And, you know, I, I hope that I'm not trying to promote where we got to agree on every. You know what I mean? Does that right. make sense? So I, I'm going to be honest with you that I haven't really looked into Ron Paul that much. Okay. Um when I see snippets of things that he says, I'm like, oh, I agree with that. But then when I, if I try to look deeper into it, I th- he ends up going to places where I don't agree. Oh, okay, okay. Um, you know, but one thing I liked about, you know, one thing I remember reading about Ron Paul was that uh, the whole time he was in Congress, he drove a little four-cylinder Chevy Chevette. And he would talk about, you know, all these radical environmentalists and, and anti-oil people that want to do this, that, and the other but they're driving off in their big Mercedes or Cadillac while he's like, who's really helping the environment more? Sure. You know? Um, I know that was a random question about Ron Paul. Yeah. So I I wouldn't, what's the term I've heard? Derogatory term, Palestinian. They call people Palestinian. Okay. okay. Uh, I am not that. Uh, I don't dislike the guy. Um, I think some things that I've read that he said are great and some are kind of kooky. Okay. Fair. Um, I appreciate you coming on the show. And I, I hope to have you back on. Before we wrap the episode up, I know that you probably have some notes we didn't get to, but uh, you're now a, a weekly instructor at, at Gracie Jiu-Jitsu Kentucky Shelby campus. Yes, through February, it's technically an open mat um, just because uh, Scott has some commitments that would keep him from being like a backup if uh, if I couldn't be there. Um uh, Ian Mills is going to be my main backup, but Scott likes to have three deep teachers sure. is, is yeah, what he yeah, told me. Yeah, he's got a good system. Scott's good at that stuff. Right. Uh, you know, of course, Scott's been my friend for 15 years, but um, I was there when, when you know, I'm sure he's talked about it with you, about when he when he lost his job and he was forced to become a businessman. Yeah. And, and you know, he did a lot of it. Uh, he, he really is a self-made guy because he was forced into that position. And he didn't have, you know, he's used business coaches and stuff since then, but he and Donna didn't have that when they started off. And and when I started with him, we were in a room not much bigger than this one. Really? In, in a little place out in Spencer County. And then we moved to the first school on Blank and Baker, and then we moved next door to where we are now. So, you know, I'm a, I'm a Scott Smith fan. Uh, you know, he a friend, mentor through jiu-jitsu, obviously. Um, but, yes, to get back to your question, 
Thursdays at noon. Uh, technically, it's an open mat. If anybody comes out, though, they will get training credit. Uh, I am teaching. And then at the end of February, uh, if if we have people showing up regularly between now and then, then it will be a permanent on the schedule class. Okay. And first class uh, yesterday, I had 10 people. So, and uh, and I ended up getting the opportunity where the um, – the 7 p.m. instructor last night, Chris, couldn't make it. He had a, a car issue. Chris. Minx. Minx, okay. And uh, <laughs> Scott was at the noon class, and he was like, he's like, man, Chris is not going to be able to make it tonight. And I was like, well, I'm not doing anything. I'll come back. So I got to – my first day of officially teaching jiu-jitsu, I got to teach two classes. That, that, so that was yesterday? Yeah. That yeah. was your first day of officially teaching jujitsu, right? Wow, I've I've filled in for I've filled in a couple of times before. There's been a couple of times when I've like walked into noon class and Donna's been like, "This one happened one time. So and so can't make it. Yeah. You're here. Can you teach?" And then I filled in for Ian uh, with his class once, but um, but as far as officially teaching yesterday, and I got and another thing too, Chris Minks, amazing instructor. I always tell everybody about Chris Minks is that. Uh, when I was a white belt and he was a blue belt, he was smashing me and beating me up. And now I'm a brown belt and he's a black belt and he's still smashing me and beating me up. You know, that's I think that'll probably be forever. But you know, great guy. He's a beast. He is a beast, uh, <laughs> honestly. And and this is nothing against any of the other black belts we have, but when he is mounted or in cross side, it is the worst feeling of being smashed that I have ever felt. Is from Chris Minks. <laughs> so. Nicest guy in the world, too. Absolutely. Just a, yes, just a gem of a human being, which, you know, I think I'm, of course, I'm biased, but I think all of our instructors, including you, Thank I, you. you know, I don't think, um, I think Scott, that's one of the things that Scott does is he has a good eye for who of his students can, huh. can, can he do. trust to be instructors. Right. Wow. Right. Who's going to carry the flag of Gracie Jiu-Jitsu of Kentucky and teach the way he wants to teach and, and also, you know be a stand-up human we don't have to agree on everything sure you know i i wouldn't want to have this conversation with a random person in jiu-jitsu i like to keep politics off the mat sure uh, absolutely because first off i'll just say this whoever you are i'm an ambassador for jiu-jitsu go do it i don't care who you vote for i don't care what your personal life is come do jiu-jitsu you know and hopefully come do it with us but um but yeah, Scott's good at that, at finding the right people to put in those positions. And and I've kind of put off teaching for a long time because I just didn't feel like I was probably good enough. But then I was like, you know what? Um, not really a New Year's resolution because I've been thinking about this for like over a year that, you know, I really just want to get back into living the jiu-jitsu lifestyle like I did a few years ago and, you know, be all about it. It's fun. You know, so so I've went from, you know, usually being a once-a-week guy to this week four times. Wow. You know, so... Um, and, and loving it. There's been many times during the interview today where I've bit my tongue and I think I've done a pretty good job of it. You, yeah. you, you've got plenty to say and we could keep, you know, we'll, we'll do another one, but yeah. one of the times I, I bit my tongue, you said, you know, I couldn't debate him about it. I'd have to have my Bible right here. Mm-hmm. And I thought, would you be open to doing any type of a bit debate on a podcast? Uh, I don't know. We would have to very if we were going to do that. It couldn't ramble. It would need to be very structured. It would be need to be very structured, and um, I think both people should know what the subject is going to be beforehand. Oh yeah, and so they oh, can yeah. research. No, what I mean is, who knows? Maybe 
biblical yeah. or maybe not right. or, or you know it would right. be one that had to have been agreed yeah. to prior because you seem very well read I, from my I know one's gonna say yeah I'm real well read I know but I, yeah seem, I, say, I say I have a lot of useless information bouncing around in my head if I need to remember something mm-hmm. important I won't I won't be able to figure it out but um I don't have much formal education I have a high school diploma that's it um went back to college for a little bit after I got out of the Coast Guard and uh, I was taking a police administration class wanting to be a police officer. And this professor at Eastern Kentucky University uh, basically stumbles in high with a ponytail and Birkenstocks and starts talking about how the police are what's wrong with America. And I was like, well, I'm out of college. I finished this semester and got good grades, but I never went back to college. And uh, But I am a pretty voracious reader, both fiction and nonfiction. Aaron Murphy. You know Aaron? Absolutely. Great guy, in my opinion, too. He came here on the podcast. I listened to it. He said on air, Barack Obama was a good president. Uh Uh-huh. Maybe maybe we need to set up a a debate. Well, (laughs) I hate to stir shit up. I hate to be an instigator, but I think that's a debate the fans would like to hear. But the problem with that is, number one... um, Aaron's smarter than I am. I'll tell you that right off the bat. He's very sharp, but I wouldn't say that. Um, you know, he he is very sharp. I agree. He could, he's someone who could like run for office. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, no, but I think you you. Well, but here's the problem. I'm not as big a hater on Barack Obama as you might imagine. There, okay. there are things I disagree with him about, but I also think one thing I do think Barack Obama was great at was he was a very, very good politician. Oh, yeah. He was, he was very polished, you know, kind of the opposite of Trump in that, you know, if, if Donald Trump was going to a conference of other world leaders, G7, G20, whatever, or I'm sorry, if Barack Obama was going to one of those conferences, you knew that he wasn't, he might say something you disagreed with, but he wasn't going to open his mouth and insert his foot and have an unforced error. You know, which is one of the things I don't like about Trump. <laughs> I, I, I'll vote for Trump if he's the nominee, but I don't. I, I, I'll be t- I'll be honest with you. I'm kind of critical of the the hold Trump has on the Republican Party, and a lot of my friends and family, and and how hardcore Trump they are. Um, would you rather have Nikki Haley? No, I would rather have Ron DeSantis. Okay, um, Massey endorsed him. Ron DeSantis, in my opinion, did probably the best job of any governor during COVID. Okay. Uh, I would I, agree with that. I believe he I believe he is a kind of mix of actual conservative values and some neocon values. Nikki Haley is 100% neocon. There is no doubt in my mind that she would do absolutely nothing to stop any war anywhere in the world. Um, I, I don't. Now, there again, I will vote for her against any of the Democrats that are, oh, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I, because I'm, I'm, I'm always going to vote until, uh, sense. Un, gonna... un, until the Libertarians get their act together to show me they can win. Yeah, fair. I'm going to vote Republican. Okay. But, but, you know, I, I wouldn't want to debate I'm Ed, just Aaron to... on Barack Obama. I might debate him on something else. But, okay. but you fair. know, if it's, it's going to have to be something where I have a really, really strong opinion. Okay. And there are a lot of things I disagree with Obama on, you know, guns for one. But but I let's put it this way. He thinks he was a great president. I don't think he was a horrible president. Okay. What do you think about whistleblowers? Snowden? Assange? 
deep subject that we don't have to cover at all, but uh, <laughs> and I'm so ADD. This is how I interview. Well, um, <laughs> Snowden in particular, I don't like the way he did it, but okay. I'm glad the information got out. There. Wow. Okay. Okay. Same thing with Julian Assange. Um, you know, I don't like it that the NSA reads my emails and listens to my phone calls. Okay. Okay. Um, I don't know if I would call Snowden a hero. Okay. But I also don't think he should be exiled or put in prison. Okay. And I don't think Julian Assange should be in prison. He, he's not technically in prison, prison, but, or he might be now. I don't even know. I, I think kept they, up with. they would be happy to hear the answers you just gave. <laughs> if you, if you don't, Snowden or Assange, that to them, maybe you don't like them. Right. I I would say that's where but but you're not advocating for them being locked up no. or or barred from the country no. or any country or anything like that. Well, here's the thing, man. Information wants to be free. That is a fact. There's a fact of the internet. If it hadn't been Snowden and Assange, it would have been somebody else. Okay. And and to demonize them for how how can you demonize somebody for telling me that the government's listening to my phone calls and reading my emails? I can't demonize them for that. Did they hand did did Edward Snowden handle it correctly? I don't think he did. But you know, that's one thing that we have seen progressively happen is that every single new president it seems has cracked down more and more and more on whistleblowers. Yeah, yeah, that's not a not a good trajectory. While while telling us that they're going to be the most open and honest the reason I thought of that was because I, we were talking about Obama. Right. <laughs> he campaigned on on being like a description you and I would agree with. Like, yeah. Yeah. He's going to free the whistleblowers. And then he did not. The opposite. <laughs> exactly. Okay. Well, Lewis, I appreciate you coming on the show. Yep. Uh, I look forward to having you back on sometime soon. Thank you very much. Yep. Uh, You're welcome. I also want to thank everyone for tuning in. Of course, we will have another episode of the Kelly Patrick Show out soon. Thank you. <laughs>